Chapter Eighteen of the Wonderful Adventures of Fra the Phoenician by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. You, happy, across whose tablets a kind of fate draws the sponge of oblivion, even while you write, who leave the cup half emptied and the feast half finished. You, from whose thoughts ambition passes in warm meridian glow who nourish expectation and hope to the very verge of the unknown you who leave the warm with the sweet wine of living your dim way lit with the shine of love your fingers locked in the clasp of friendship you to whom all these things gently minister and smooth the path of the inevitable you who die but once and die so easily surely cannot comprehend the full measure of my sufferings oh it was horrible and sickening to feel the old world reel and spin like this beneath my laggard feet to see crowns and states and people flit by like idle shadows on a sunny wall to espouse great quarrels that set men into wide asunder camps and to wake and find the quarrel long since over and forgotten to swear allegiance to a king and love and serve him and then to find in the beat of a pulse that he had gone and was forgotten to be the bearer of proud news that should kindle joy in a thousand thousand hearts and then to wake when even the meaning of that news the very cause and purport of it was long since past and gone it was surely bitter and for myself i who as you know link a ready sympathy with any cause who love and live and hope with a fervour which no experience quenches and no adversity can dim to be thus cut adrift from all i lived and hoped for to be cast like this on to the bleak friendless shore of some age remote unknown unvalued surely it was a mischance as heavy as any mischance could be i had not any friend in all that universe i said to myself as i lay and thought sad thoughts upon the grassy mound a friend not one kind human heart in this hive of human atoms set store by me not one had heard i lived not one cared if i died there was not in all the world one question of how i fared one wish that ran in union with any wish of mine one single link to join me to my kind and what links could i forge again how could i set out to hope afresh or love or fear or wish for hope gods had i not hopes yesterday and what were they now a tawdry silly sheaf of tinselled fancies and love how could i love remembering the new dead isabel and fear and desire neither touched the accursed monotony of my desolation either would have been a boon from heaven to break the miserable calm of my despair it was thus i reasoned with myself for hours as the gathering darkness settled down and poor as i had often been and comradeless i do not think in all a long and varied life i had ever felt more reft of friends or melancholy lonesome in vain my mind was racked to piece the evidence of that huge lapse of time which there was no doubt had passed since the great battle on the crecy hills i could recall as they have been set down every incident of the voyage my escape 
and what had followed the awakening but the sleep itself was to me even now just one long soft dreamless well-earned slumber from point to point so absolutely natural had been that wondrous trance that to think on it would make me start up with a cry and shake my fist to where in the valley the lights of elizabeth's camp were faintly shining among the trees and half persuade myself that this were the dream that the yellow-haired princess had somehow mocked me that edward indeed still lived with my jolly comrades and i might still hope to win renown and smiles amid them and see those that i knew and drink red wine from friendly flagons then i would remember all the many signs that told the princess had not fooled me had but spoke the cruel naked truth down i would sink again on the turf under the deepening shadows and bewail my lot tossed fiercely about like this time passed unnoticed the day went out in the west behind the pale amber and green satin curtains of the sunset and while i sat and grieved the yellow stars climbed into the sky all the sweet silent planets of the night set out upon their unseen pathways and airy parabolas and behind the thicket that sheltered me the moon got up and threw across the lonely road a tracery of black and silver shadows the evening air blew strong and cool upon my flushed hot brow and lulled the teeming thoughts that crowded there soft velvet bats came down and the faint lisp of their hollow wings brushing by me was kindly and sympathetic overhead the sallows hung out a thousand golden points to the small people of the twilight and a faint perfume an incense of hope fell on me with the yellow dust of those gentle flowers if i say these cool influences somewhat respirited me you will deride my changing mood yet why should i hesitate for that i did grow calmer under the gentle caressing of the evening it was all so fair and still about me presently and there was this star that i knew and that and the night owl churning overhead was surely the very same bird that had sung above my hunter couch in the saxon woodlands and the lonely trumpet of the heron flying homeward up the valley brought back a score of peaceful memories after all men might change and go shallow small puppets that they were but this at least was the same old earth about me and that was something i would find a sheltered corner and sleep mayhap with to-morrow's dawn the world might look a little brighter just as this wise resolution was on the point of being put in force the faint sound of horse-hoofs demurely walking up towards my lurking-place came down on the night wind and retiring a moment into the deep shadows i had not long to wait before the same shaggy palfrey and the same dreamy old fellow met earlier in the day came pacing along the road the scholar for so i guessed him looked neither to right nor left his strange thin face was turned full up to the moonlight and the bright rays shone upon his vacant eyes and long white beard with a strange sepulchral lustre he was letting the reins hang loose upon his pony's neck and as he came near thinking himself alone he stretched out his long sinewy hands in front and it was plain to see his lips worked in the moonlight with unspoken thoughts 
quicker than an abbot at an unpaid-for mass utterly oblivious to everything around in the white shine of the great night planet old lunatic and gaunt he looked methought the strangest wayfarer that ever rode down a woodland lane by nightfall he was indeed so weird and unapproachable in his reverie that though i had felt a small gleam of pleasure in first recognising something which if not friend was at least acquaintance yet now as he drew nigh remote and visionary with glassy eyes fixed on the twinkling stars and thin white locks lifting about his broad and wrinkled forehead i hesitated to greet him and stood back but that palfrey he bestrode was more watchful than his rider he saw me loom dark among the hazels and came to so sudden a stop as threw the old man forward upon his ears and whatever his fancies may have been jerk them clean from sky to earth in less time than it takes to write the scholar pulled himself together and with some show of valour threw back his wide cloak from his right shoulder and uncovered on his other side the hilts of a tarnished rusty sword then peeping and peering all about he cried ho oh, you there in the shadows be ye thieves or beggars know that i have nothing to give and less to lose and he who stops your way sir i answered stepping forward into the clear is exactly in like circumstance oh it is you friend is it cried the old man seeming much relieved i thought i had fallen into a nest of footpads or at the least a camp of beggars your open declaration sir backed by certain evidences of its obvious truth ought to have taken you safely through the worst infested thicket hereabouts no doubt no doubt but i am glad it is you and not another first because desirable friendships are rarely made by moonlight and secondly because you have been in my mind the few hours since we parted i am honoured in that particular and your courtesy moves me the more because i was only now thinking there were none upon the face of the earth who were doing so much by me you are green young man and therefore apt to let a passing whim a shadow of disappointment lead to hasty generalising you fared not as you hoped at yonder court and the old man bent his keen grey eyes upon me with a searching shrewdness there was no gainsaying no in faith i fared badly beyond all expectation and what were you projecting just now when like the ass of balaam this most patient beast saw you in the way and interrupted my reflection so roughly why at that very moment sir i said i was looking for a likely place to pass the night what on the moss with no better hangings to your couch than these lean draughty leafless boughs tis an honourable bed sir and i have fared worse when i have been far richer oh what a happy thing it is to be young and full of colour and folly not but that i have done the same myself chuckled the old man for thou knowest mandrake must be gathered only at the full moon and hemlock roots are digged in the dark many a twilight such as this i spent groping in the murky woods picking those things that witches love and not gone home with full wallet until the owls were homing and the pale white stars were waxing sickly in the morning light nevertheless sir take an old man's word and presume not too largely on the immunities of youth i have no drier bed no but i have 
come back with me to-night and i will lodge you safe and sound until the morning thanks for the proffer yet this is surely extreme courtesy between two wayfarers so newly met as we are and do i sir he cried holding out his thin and shaky palms there in the pallid light a gaunt and ragged-looking spectre a houseless homeless visionary vagrant do i sir seem some broiling spendthrift some loose hedge companion some shallow pated swashbuckler hail fellow well met with one and all i have not said so much civility as i did just now to any one these twenty years the more thanks are due from him in whose favour you make so great and generous exception is it distant to your lodgment but a few miles straight ahead of us then i will go with you for it were churlish to slight so good an offer out of bare waywardness and i tightened my belt and took the ragged ungroomed little steed by the rusty cord mended bit and with these two strange companions set out i knew not how or where and cared but little at first that quaint old man seemed more elated than could reasonably be expected at having secured me for a guest he did not openly avow it but i was not so young or unread in men but that i could decipher his pleasure in voice and eye even while he talked on other subjects how this interest came what he could hope to get or have of me however was well past my comprehension my dress and rustic garb spoke me his inferior in place and station while certes my rags and tatters made me seem poor even after my humble kind he was a gentleman though the sorriest looking one who ever put a leg across a saddle and i i was afoot a gloomy purseless unweaponed loiterer in the shadows what could he need of me that lent such lustre to his eyes and caused him to chuckle so hoarsely far down in his lean and withered throat the morrow no doubt would show and in the meantime being still morose and sad smarting to have unwittingly played the fool so much and full of grief and sorrow i responded but dully to his learned talk feeling this and being only slenderly attached to mundane things at best his mind wandered from me after a mile or two his eyes grew fixed and expressionless his hands dropped supine upon the pummel his chin sank down upon the limp worn yellow ruffles on his chest and senseless disconnected murmurs ran from his lips like water dripping from a leaky cask i let him babble as he liked and trudged along in silence leaving the road to that sagacious beast who with drooped head and stolid purpose went pacing on without a look either to right or left and you will guess my thoughts were melancholy yesterday i was an honoured soldier the confidant of a proud victorious king the comrade of a shining band of princely brethren as good a knight as any that breathed among a host of heroes the clear honoured leading star the bright example to a horde of stalwart veterans with all the fair wide fields of renown and reputation lying inviting before me all the pleasant leith of struggle and ambition open to my search and i had strong true friends abroad and loving ones at home and now and now oh i beat my hand upon my bosom and spent impotent curses on the starlight sky 
to think how all was changed to think how those splendid princely shadows were gone how all those sweet rough spearmen who had ridden with me fetlock deep through the crimson mire of crecy that passed out into the void leaving me here desolate poor accursed this empty hand that trained the spear that had shot princes and paladins to earth under the full gaze of crowned christendom turned to a low horse-boy's duty my golden mail changed to a hedgeman's muddy smock on foot degraded friendless and forlorn but it was no good grieving my melancholy served somehow to pass the way and when presently i shook it off again with one fierce final sigh and peered about we were slowly winding down a dark road between high banks into a deeply wooded glen lying straight ahead i had noticed now and then as we came along a twinkling light or two standing off from the white roadway amid the deep black shadows of the evening and each time had slowed my gloomy stride thinking this were the place we aimed for now it was a shepherd's lonely cot high perched amid the open firs and ling with a faint red beam of warmth and light coming from the glowing hearth within ah here we be i thought so learning is lodged with fleecy simplicity and cons his ovid amid the things the sweet latin loved or reads bucolic horace beneath a herdsman's oak but that glum palfrey did not stop and his fantastic master made no sign then it would be a wayside cottage all criss-cross faced with beam of wood after the new fashion and overgrown with rose and eglantine then this is it i sighed a comely peaceful harbourage one could surely lie safer from the winds of blustering fortune in this tiny shell than a small white maggot in a winter-hidden nut and i put my hand upon the dim trestle gate but stamp stamp the steed went on and the master never took his chin from off his bosom well we had passed in this way some few small homesteads and seen the glow-worm lights of a fair sleeping tudor village or two shine remote in the starlight valleys and then we came all at the same solemn pace the same gloomy silence into that deep shadowed dell i spoke of we dipped down out of the honest white radiance between high banks on either hand so high that bush and shrub were locked in tangles overhead and not a blink of light came through down that strange black zigzag we slipped and scrambled the loose stones rattling beneath our feet in pitchy darkness with never a sound to break the stillness but the heavy breathing of the horse and now and then the gurgle of an unseen streamlet running somewhere in the void we staggered down this hell-dark pathway for a lonely mile and then there loomed up from the blackness on my right hand a mouldy broken terrace wall all loose and cracked with fallen coping slabs and pedestals displaced and hideous stony graven monsters here and there glowering in the blackness at us who passed below two hundred paces down this wall we went and then came to an opening at the same moment the pale moon shone out full overhead and showed me a gate a garden and beyond an empty mansion so white so ruinous and ghastly 
so marvellously like a dead expressionless face suddenly gleaming over the black pall of the night that i tightened my hand upon the snaffle strap i held and bit my lip and thanked my fate it was not there i had to sleep yet could i not help staring at that place the wall turned in on either side to meet those gates they had once been noble and well wrought and gilded for here and there the better metal shone in spots amid the wide expanse of rusty iron that formed them but now they were like the broken fangs methought of some old hag more than aught else the left of these two rotten portals never opened the nettle and wild creepers were twined thick about its shattered lower bars while its fellow stood ajar with one hinge gone and sagging over desperately envious it seemed of the small footway that wound amid the rank wild herbage past it and then that garden jove was ever such a ghostly wilderness such a tangled labyrinth of decay and neglect born out of the kind fertile bosom of gentle mother earth never before had i seen black cypresses throw such funereal shadows never had i known the winter-worn things of summer look so ghoul-like and horrible but worst of all was the mansion beyond a straggling pile with mighty chimney-stacks from whence no pleasant smoke curled up and silent grassy courtyards and lonely flights of broken steps leading to lonely terraces and a hundred empty windows staring empty socketed back upon the dead white light that shone so straight and cruel upon them oh it was all most forlorn and melancholy surely an unholy place steeped deep with the indelible stain of some black story and i turned me gladly from it i turned and as i did so the horse came to a sudden stop stopped calm and resolutely before that ill-omened portal this woke his master who stared and looked up he saw the house and gates in the full stream of the moonlight and then turned to me welcome he cried right welcome to my home oh you shall sleep snug enough to-night look at the shine on't they have lit up to welcome us and he pointed with a long fleshless finger to those ghostly windows oh came like a dead voice the echo of his laughter out of the blank courtyard depth and the old man so strange and wild struck his rusty spurs upon the bare-sounding ribs of his beast and turned and rode straight through the portal for one minute i held back twas all so grim and tragic looking and i was weak shaken with grief and fasting unweaponed and alone for one minute i held back and then the red flush of anger burnt hot upon my forehead to think i had been so near to fearing i tossed back my black phrygian locks and with an angry stride my spirit roused by that moment's weakness strode sternly across the threshold down the white gravel way we twined the loose neglected path gleaming wet with night dew we brushed by thickets of dead garden things such as had once been tall and fair but now tainted the night air with their rottenness we stepped over giant brambles and great fallen hemlocks little hedge pigs so forsaken was it all trotting down the path before us and bats flitting about our heads 
in one place had been a fountain and pan himself standing by it the fountain was choked with giant dock and cress wherefrom some frogs croaked with dismal glee while pan had fallen and lay in pieces on his face across the way so we came in a moment or two to the house and there my guide dismounted and pulled bit and bridle saddle and saddle-cloth from his pony that beast turned and stepped back into the shadows of the desolate garden vanishing with strange suddenness but whither i could not guess then the old man produced a green rusty key from under his belt and putting it to the lock of the door at top of that flight of broken steps which looked as though no foot had trodden them for fifty years he turned the rusty wards the grind and wail of those stiff bolts had almost human sadness in it and then we entered a long lonely chilly hall here my guide felt for flint and steel and i own i heard the click of the stone and metal and saw the first spark spring and die upon the pavement with reasonable satisfaction twould have made a good picture had some one been by to limn it that ghastly pale face that might have topped a skeleton so bloodless was it with sharp keen eyes a glint in the red glow that came presently upon the tinder that strange slouch hat that ragged sorrel graveyard cloak and all about the gleam glancing off the crumbling finery the worm-eaten furniture the broken tilestones the empty voiceless corridors the doors set half ajar the great carved banisters of the stairway that mounted into the black upper emptiness of that deserted hall and then i myself there by the porch watchful and grim in my sorry rags the greatest wonder of it all eyeing with haughty speculation that old fellow so ancient and yet so young tottering and venerable under the weight of a poor eighty years perhaps while it was three times as much since strong-limbed supple i had even sat to a meal it was truly strange and i waited for anything that might come next with calm resignation a listless faith in the integrity of chance which put me beyond all those gusty emotions of hope and fear which play through the fledgling hearts of lesser men the red train of sparks lit upon the tinder while i glanced around the old man's breath blew them into a flame and this he set to a rushlight then turned that pale flame in my direction as he surveyed his guest from top to toe i bore the inspection with folded arms and when he had done he said such thews and sinews son as show beneath that hempen shirt of yours such breadth of shoulder and stalwartness can scarcely be nourished on evening dew and sad reflections have you eaten lately in truth sir it was some time ago i last sat to meal was my response and whether it be our walk or the night air i could almost fancy your father's father might have shared that meal with me well come then to the banquet hall the feast is spread and for guests people these shadows with whom you will and taking the rushlight from its socket and hobbling off in front that strange host of mine led down the corridor to where a great archway led into the main chamber of the house it was as desolate and silent as every other place vast roomy blank and gloomy all along one side were latticed windows looking out upon that dead garden 
and the moonbeams coming through them threw faint reflections of escutcheon and painted glass upon the dusty floor here and there the panes were broken and draughts from these swayed the frayed and tattered hangings with ghostly undulations ah and at the top of the room an open door leading into unknown blackness kept softly opening and shutting in the current as though with melancholy monotony it was giving admittance to unseen voiceless company but nothing said my friend to excuse all this he led up the long black table with rows of seats and benches fit to seat an hundred guests until at the lonely top he found and lit the four branches of a little oil lamp of green mouldy bronze such as one takes from ancient crypts and when the four little flames grew up smoky and dim they shone upon a napkin ready laid a flask a pitcher and a plate flanked by a horn-handled knife and spoon and an oaken salt-cellar then the old earl next went to a cupboard in a niche and brought out bread on a trencher a cheese upon a round leaden dish and a curious flask of old italian wine i stared at my host in wonder for i could have sworn a saxon hand had trimmed his knife and spoon his lamp was etruscan as truly as i lived though heaven only knew how he came by it and that picture why jove i knew the very roman pottery marks upon it the maker's sign and name the very kiln that glazed it he laid a plate for me and cut the loaf and filled our tankards and eat he said the feast is small but we have that sauce the wise have told us would make a worse into a banquet thanks i said i have in truth sat to wider spreads yet this is more than i could a few short hours since have reasonably hoped for and so i began and broke his bread and turned about the cheese and poured the wine and made a very good repast out of such modest provender but as you may guess between every mouthful i could not help looking up and about me at the wise mad features of that quaint old man now far away and visionary again lost in thought and fantasy and then out through the broken mullions into that pallid garden of white spectral things and inky shadows lying so death-like in the moonshine and so once more my eye would wander to the long sombre hall the stately high-backed chairs all rickety and moth-eaten and the door that gently opened now and then to admit the sighing of the night wind and nothing more well i will not weary you with experiences so empty at last the most spectral meal that ever mortal sat to was over and the old man roused himself and like one who comes reluctantly from deep thought drained out his goblet to the dregs and turned it down and swept the crumbs into his plate and standing up said in a somewhat friendly tone you will be weary stranger guest and mayhap i am to-night but a poor host if it pleased you i would show you to a chamber which though mayhap somewhat musty like much else of mine shall nevertheless be drier than yon couch of yours out there by the hazel thicket musty or not good sir i do confess a bed will be welcome it must be near four hundred years at least that is to say it must be very long my sleepy eyes suggest since i was lain on one come then 
yet half a minute sir before we go this garb of mine i do not deign to advert to its poorness for my own sake but it does such small credit to your honour and hospitality fortune in other times gave me the right to wear the hose and surtout of a gentleman if you had such a livery by you the scholar thought a space then bid me stay where i was and took the rush light and went down the passage in a few minutes he was back with a swathe of faded raiment upon his arm and threw them down upon the bench there choose he cried it was like a young man to think of to-morrow's clothing between supper-time and bed the raiment was as mysterious as everything else hereabout it was all odds and ends and quaint old fashions and tags of finery the faded panoply of state and pride the green vest of a forest ranger the gabardine of a marshal of the lists suits for footmen with the devices i had seen upon the ruined gates worked on the front in golden thread and some few courtly things such as idle young lords will wear a day or two and then throw by to wear some newer out of the latter i selected a suit that looked as though it would fit me and though a little crumpled was still in reasonable condition this vestment after the fashion of the time consisted of tight hose and much puffed breeches a fine silk waistcoat coming far down and a loose and ample coat upon it with wide shoulders and long tight sleeves when i add this suit was of amber velvet lined and puffed with primrose satin you will understand that saving the certain mouldiness about it i have mentioned it was as good as any reasonable man could desire i rolled it up and put it under my arm then turned to my host with something of a smile at the strangeness of it all a supper sir i said and shelter a suit of velvet and then a bed why surely this is rare civility between two chance companions met on a country road ah answered the old man and if you were as old as i am you would know it is rare but that such things must somehow be paid for and he eyed me curiously a moment from under those penthouse eyebrows is there anything more you lack he continued to-night it is yours to ask and mine to give since you put it to me worthy host i responded there is one other thing i need something a soldier likes whether it be in court or camp in peaceful hall like this or on the ridges of a dank battlefield a straight white comrade that i could keep close to me all day a dear companion who would lie nigh by my side at night believe me i have never been without such and believe me young man i cannot humour you fie if that's your fancy why did you leave yon wanton camp gads but they would have lined you there civilly enough but i what do you think i can conjure you a pretty painted lemon for a plaything out of these black shadows all about us whereat i answered seriously you mistake my meaning sir it was no gentle damsel that i needed but such a companion as i have ever had in brief a weapon a sword it was only this i thought of i heard the old man mutter as he turned away a curse on young men and their wants new suits supper and wine lemon weapons oh it's just the same with all of them and he took the taper from the table and signed me to follow 
he led me down the hall with its bare cold flagstones and sombre panelling dimly seen under the feeble gleaming light he carried and in a few paces my grim host stopped and held that shine aloft it shone redly on a tarnished trophy of arms chain-mail and helmets whence he bid me choose whatever took my fancy making the while small effort to hide his contempt for the obvious eagerness and pleasure with which i sampled that dusty hoard after a minute or two i selected a strong spanish blade a little light and playful perhaps with golden arabesques all down it and a pretty fluted hollow for the foeman's blood and a chaste love-knot at the hilt yet nevertheless a good blade and serviceable with an edge as keen as a lover's eye and a temper as true as ever was got into good steel i thought as i sprang it on the tiles between hammer and anvil this toledo blade had a cover of black velvet bound and hooped with silver bands and a stout belt of light kind nicely suiting that livery i carried upon my arm i bound the sword about me and after being so long unweaponed found it wondrous comfortable and pleasant wear now then sir host i cried lead on if this chamber of thine were in the porch of paradise or in the nethermost pit of hell i am equally ready to explore it up the gloomy stairs we went now to right and then to left by corridors and passages until the road we came was hopelessly mazed to me and soon my host led to a wider gloomier avenue of silent doorways than any we had passed choose he laughed choose your bed better men than you have lodged and died within these cheerful chambers and that wild old man with furrowed face and mad sparkling eyes seeming in that small round globe of light like some spectral remnant of the fortunes of his lonely house opened door after door for me to note the grim black solitudes within in every chamber hung the same staring portraits on the wall cold proud dead eyes fixed hard upon you wherever you might look on every rotten cornice were tattered hangings half shrouding those dim cobwebbed windows that gazed so wistfully out upon the moonlit garden and dusky panelled doors and cupboard casements that gently creaked and moved upon the sighing draught till you could swear ghostly fingers played upon the latches the same stern black furniture crumbling and decayed was in each set straight against the walls the same cenotaph four-posted bedsteads with ruined tapestries and mouldy coverlets choose he laughed with a horrid goblin laughter that rattled down the empty corridors my house is roomy though the guests be few and silent but in truth there was little to choose where all was so alike therefore and not to seem the least bit moved by all this dreadfulness i threw down my borrowed clothes and rapier upon the settle in one of the first rooms we happed upon and said here then good host and thanks for courteous harbourage what time doth sound rivalli what time i mean doth thy household wake my household stranger sleeps on for ever they will not wake for any mortal sunrise i spend the long night hours in work and vigil 
and he looked at me with the gloomy fanaticism of an absent mind yet you must wake again he went on after a minute i have something to ask thee to-morrow perhaps something to show why then until we meet again good-night and pleasant vigils since it is to them you go good-night young man and sober sleep remember this is no place to dream of tilts and tawnies of lost causes or light lemon love and muttering to himself as he shuffled down the bare dusty floors i heard him pass away from corridor to corridor and flight to flight until even that faint sound was swallowed by the cavernous silence of the sepulchral mansion and night and impenetrable stillness fell on those empty stairways and gaunt voiceless rooms End of chapter 18